0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well on this Thursday, January the 4th. We have lots to dive into today. We had the World Junior Championship semifinals this afternoon. I want to get into those games. Going to talk about the NFL opt-outs coming up this weekend. If we don't get to that today, we'll talk about it tomorrow with the NFL schedule in full force and a lot of teams sitting out players. My, mainly quarterbacks this weekend after clinching playoff spots we got some nhl storylines that i want to touch on before we get going something i try not to do during podcasts is to drink water i try to go the entire hour 25 hour three without having any water because having a break it can sound shitty on the audio and if there's a pause and that's the worst thing you can do I may have to today, so I apologize in advance. I've been a little bit stuffed up, a little bit under the weather, and I'm fine. But it's just my throat's a bit sore and, again, stuffed up. So if I have to have a drink of water, I apologize, but I'm just going to say that up front. So if there is a pause, it's because I had a drink. But I'm going to try to get through this without having uh, any water. Because when I listen to podcasts... And I know they're drinking water and you can hear it and they don't have a cough button like I don't. And you don't have another co-host to kind of carry the 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 load, if you will, carry the, carry the rock. You have nobody else to say anything while you're going, then it's not that great. And it's dead sound. And that's just, it's awful. So I'm going to try to get through this without having to do that to all of you. We'll see how it goes. There are two things I'm really passionate about. Sports is number one. That's pretty obvious. And number two, for better or for worse, when I started going to university, I could care less about politics. I didn't care. They were stupid. Who doesn't? What's it going to do for me? Voting, blah, blah, blah. But then I started taking a communications class with Jamie Gillies, one of my great professors at St. Thomas. And he got me interested in politics. And now it's probably my second biggest hobby, my, my second biggest interest behind sports. And I want to talk about this story. Because it's mixing politics and sports. And I think it's a big deal. And I want to talk about it. Tuesday... On the Pat McAfee show, which if you're not familiar with Pat McAfee, he has a show on ESPN that's on every afternoon. And on Tuesdays, Aaron Rodgers makes an appearance for a small fee or large fee. We don't know. All I know is he gets paid to go. I love Aaron Rodgers. I I think he's incredibly intelligent. I've talked about this before. I obviously went to Cal, got a degree. And you know you think always oh, a football player went to cal well he got a degree <laughs> while you know after going pro he's a smart dude he's he's i think he's really big thinker he thinks outside the box and he's been a guy that was caught lying about the whole covid vaccine situation saying he was immunized and then he was found to have not been vaccinated. And I've talked about that in the past that I thought shouldn't have lied, but also he clearly didn't have the courage. or didn't have the trust that it would have been, you know, perceived. Well, if he said he was not vaccinated, and I think looking at the, the landscape of the world, then I think he was right in that opinion. You were, you know, a vilified human being. If you didn't think it was a good idea, you were looked upon, you know, less than favorably, by uh, the masses who, you know, were believers of Anthony Fauci and other people like him. So, for the most part, I'm on the side of Aaron Rodgers. I think he's interesting. I think he's great. But Tuesday afternoon on the Pat McAfee show, he went on and they started talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein, obviously one of... The biggest pedophiles, child trafficking, horrible people in the world. He had so many connections with famous people. There's a list that's going to be released sometime. It's been redacted a few times that it hasn't been released. But it's going too soon. And Aaron (laughs) Rodgers goes on McAfee and he says... Yeah, I know somebody who's going to be nervous when the Epstein list is dropped. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, who's an employee of ABC, which ABC is owned by ESPN or Disney. So McAfee, Jimmy Kimmel, while they do different things, are in fact co-workers. So obviously this is a big deal. But Pat kinda joked about it and he was kind of on board and he did his his McAfee shtick which I'm not as big a fan of McAfee. It's kind of like spitting chiclets and hockey. I, I appreciate what they do. They have their own lane and people love it. I don't begrudge anybody that listens to it. It's just not for me. But I like Rogers appearances because I like Rogers. The other time I don't listen to his show. But Rogers threw this out. And it went crazy. Because what it did is it fueled the fire of the right and the left. And I think Aaron did it for a reason. He did it because he wanted to have fun. He thought it'd be funny, number one. And I also think he did it because he wanted, he likes to cause drama. He likes to cause controversies. He likes people picking at one another. And I think he knows his basis, which is far right. Getting, you know, hardcore, hardcore Republicans to side with him. Where you have, you know, Rob Schneider retweeting the the interview on, on Twitter and, uh, He's not retweeting any other McAfee content. I'll, uh, I'll promise you that just to give you a heads up. But this was a bridge too far by Aaron Rodgers. I support him. I think he's smart. He's a hell of a football player. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a lot of great things. This was not his finest finest moment. Him bringing up Jimmy Kimmel. When Jimmy Kimmel is not going to be on the list. When Jimmy Kimmel is not guilty of the accusation. Is a crime. Jimmy Kimmel, who said he might take him to court, could sue Aaron Rodgers for defamation of character. Jimmy Kimmel, who... He's a late night host. I have nothing against him. I don't think he's that funny. I guess that's one thing I could say about it. I don't think he's that great at late night, but he's done it for a long time. Kudos to him. He's got a lot of, you know, a lot of friends. Seems to be a good guy. He was on Bill Maher a couple weeks ago. I listened to it, the interview. Club Random. So I got nothing against Jimmy Kimmel. But I have to side with Jimmy Kimmel on this issue. Because in life, you never want somebody to say something about you that is not true. And there's never a point in life when somebody says something, however minuscule that it is. You you could be sitting around a, a, a campfire, and somebody has one beer left in their cooler. And you knew somebody who took it and drank it. and They didn't tell the person to own the beer who drank it. But that person goes... Oh yeah, uh, Noah stole the beer. I would never just sit there and take that as a human being. Maybe others would, I wouldn't because I'm not going to admit to something I did not do. That goes against my being, that goes against my upbringing. You don't admit to guilt if you're not a guilty human being. And I also think you don't accuse somebody of something if you don't know that they did it. It's this culture of he said, she said, which is very prevalent in the world today. Mainly, uh, it was bigger with with the Me Too uh, movement, where a lot of men were accused of stuff that they did not do. A lot did it, but in some cases, obviously, accusations were false, and it was women trying to join a movement that they weren't involved in. But Aaron, this is on Twitter now. There were a few people, a few files of the Epstein list released the last couple days since this appearance. And people are going on the internet and photoshopping Jimmy Kimmel's name into the documents to make it seem like Aaron Rodgers was correct. And they are, in fact, validating his incorrect opinion. that it just can't happen it, it it's not it can't happen it's not okay he's giving life cuz i think what's happening in the world right now there are rational people on both sides that like to vote one way or the other and then there's people on the far ends of each spectrum that say that they're, they represent this party, but they're fucking nuts. Republican, and I'm using American politics because it's Canadian politics. is so blase. But there's people crazy on both ends. Aaron, by doing this, he's provoking the crazy people that support the Republican Party, that are dangerous human beings. It's not a... Group of people that Aaron Rodgers would ever associate with. That it would ever want to be around. But they're on the internet and they support him. People that probably don't even like Aaron. But since he started talking about COVID. Since he started saying, I'll debate Fauci. They love him. Since he's taken other hardcore stances. And I do view this as a political issue. Because Aaron is attacking a public figure and getting people to come out and support him by any means necessary. And these people will do whatever they can do to help Aaron in that chase. I still like him. I still think he's interesting. I still think he's super intelligent. But this was a bridge too far. You want to take shots at Anthony Fauci and people in the media that think you're vile if you didn't want to get the vaccine. Sure. You want to take a shot at Jimmy Kimmel because he said unvaccinated people should not be treated in hospitals. Sure. No problem with that. I thought that that was a. He made that stance years ago. And that was a bridge too far from Jimmy Kimmel. Somebody who does late night TV, and he, he didn't have to face any repercussions from it. Like, that's bullshit. You want to call out people who are getting their 18th booster? Sure. Because you're not. You're not targeting an individual. You're just saying, this is so stupid. This is not helping you. People who have their 18th booster are more sick than the people who didn't get one. I'm fine. But insulting the character of Jimmy Kimmel without any basis or facts. I can't get on board with that. Because my whole mantra is I like to come at people with facts. I like to speak from a point of view of not, oh, it's not just opinion, but I have something to back it up. That's a conversation. That's a debate. That's intelligent coverage. That's the the grander scheme here. You want to show examples? And attack certain positions? Sure. You want to say it's stupid for people to still be wearing masks at this point? Sure, I'm on board. <laughs> right there with you. Fun fact, I got the vaccine and I got sick like three weeks later. And I had never gotten sick prior to getting the vaccine. And I was really sick. I like to move, I like to get my steps in. I couldn't walk down the stairs, let my dog out hardly. I had no energy. It was brutal. Do I get that sick if I don't get the vaccine? I don't. I know I got the I know I got the vaccine. I was that sick. It wasn't fun. And I was never sick prior. And i I've, I've actually been sick more in the last couple years since I've got it than I was in the past five years. I'm getting sick more and more often. Is there a correlation? I think there is because I wasn't before. That's the only data I can use. So I'm using a personal experience to validate my opinion. On this issue, Aaron did not. It's a flat-out lie. It's conspiracy. It's not going to be proven true, and it just sounds crazy. He shouldn't have went there, and now I wonder what's ESPN going to do? Because I think they like having Aaron Rodgers. They paid Mac if they pay McAfee, I think seventeen million dollars a year for him to do his radio show and him to do College Game Day. That was a big investment they made last year. Will will they ask McAfee to not have Aaron Rodgers on? I don't know if McAfee will do that. I don't know if he'll agree to it. Because Aaron's a friend, and Aaron's one of the biggest reasons people tune in. I'm sure they like Pat. He's the host. But I mean, that Aaron, I guess, for me, the Aaron interview is the only reason I tune in. I have enough people that I listen to. That I don't need to hear Pat McAfee's opinion on everything. But I want to hear the Aaron interview. So I tune in. There's certain shows that you don't watch. We go, oh, that's on. Like you're telling me people are tuning into the 60 Minutes every week since. You know, past 20 years. Other than my mother. Nobody's watching 60 Minutes after NFL on CBS. It's the same show. They haven't changed. It's boring. Clock ticking. Blah. Makes you think of Monday the week starting for work. It's garbage. But hey, Anderson Cooper is interviewing uh, Deion Sanders, Coach pro hey, I'll, I'll listen to that. It's those type of things where you go to different shows, to different things, to, to see what it's like to see that interview or to see that person because you like him. He's making an appearance. Oh, I'll tune in. For the PWHL, Hillary Knight's playing in my city tonight. I'm going to go watch that. I might not be the biggest fan of it, but I know her. I'm going to go tune in. Oprah's got, I don't know, Barack Obama on today. You might be a big Obama fan. I'm going to go tune in because I want to hear Barack and what he's got to say about Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel. Hopefully you come to me every time because you dislike, you know, like my commentary. And it's interesting. I hope. I'm not gonna go much longer on this. I almost went 20 minutes. I apologize if you don't like your politics and sports intertwined. But I thought this was interesting. And it's huge in the media right now. It's beyond sports. It's woven into it's woven into just normal people hearing this story about Jimmy Kimmel. It's in the pop culture zeitgeist. It's sports adjacent. And if there are any updates, we'll talk about it. Because it's just, there's a lot to talk about here, it's a big story. Two pretty powerful people. So, thank you for the time on that. We're going to move off it. But, Aaron, be careful, man. I like you, and I don't want to see us scooped up because this is your bad. I doubt he's going to apologize because that's not his thing. He's hard headed. I know nothing about that. World Junior Hockey Championships. <laughs> Easy transition. Semi-final Thursday. Started with the Czech Republic and Sweden. I predicted two upsets today. I was wrong. Over 2 Came close in one. But I was over 2 Something I realized... That I gotta fix about myself. Well, I gotta fix a lot of things, but this is just probably fix this like today. So that's a realistic approach fixing myself. Since I stopped being a fan of any particular team, including Canada, I just watch the games for the games. But then I wanna talk about the betting lines and I make a pick for the game and I only, as I've said before, I only bet underdogs. Only ever bet underdogs. And I did not bet on the game state, but I did have a feeling going into these games that they'd be close. And they were to my first approach. But sometimes chalk picks are going to win. As boring as it is, the chalk pick, and I'm never going to be the guy who gambles on the chalk pick because that's, There's enough boring white men out there who will do that. You know, I kind of want to stand out from the crowd. Be a bit different. Cavalier. Aaron Rodgers-esque, if you will. (laughs) But sometimes chalk picks are going to win. The favorites are going to win the game. That's something. This is going to happen. Because they're the better team. Vegas says it. The paper says it. So they're just the better team. They're going to win, right? So I have to come to terms or come to Jesus, if there was one, with that approach, with that idea. And I'm going to do that going forward. I'm going to be better about it. Today, Czech versus Sweden. First two periods, very close. Tight checking hockey game. Both teams limiting scoring chances. Czechs are physical. The Swedes, they're better players coming to play. Here's what I took from the game. Both goalies were pretty dreadful. Harabal for uh, Czechia let in two brutal goals from the point that he could see both of them that can't go in, ever. Same thing with uh, Halavid. For Sweden, who let in two goals via the five-hole that just can't go in. Either. Either of them. Can't go in. He saw both of them. No screens, no tips, no deflections. Bad goals. So both goalies were bad. But Sweden was the favorite because they have more high-end talent than Czechia. Czechia beating Canada is a big upset because... Canada, while they don't have the best team they ever had, have more firepower than team Czechia. And in the end, when you're going into a third period and you need somebody to score a big goal, you need your best players to come out and produce, Sweden did, and Czechia didn't. Yuri Kulik, who I think is their best offensive player, didn't record a point today. He's got one point, one point in the last two elimination games. Metal round games. He had a great first period with him and Shapovalov, the Vegas Golden Knight third rounder. But after that, they were hemmed in a lot of the night. Didn't get a high a whole lot of high danger scoring chances, and they struggled. And I thought like Galvis, the seventeen year old, was great for checking, getting the puck out of the zone. And they used their points very effectively. But Sweden won this game because they had the fresher legs in the third period. They came out with more energy. And their best players were their best players. Jonathan Lekermacki, Lekermacki, has been fantastic throughout the tournament. 19 years old, draft pick of the Vancouver Canucks. Has a fantastic shot. And has been Sweden's go-to guy when they need to score a goal. And after two periods, there was only one power play. It was for Czechia. They scored on it. And there was only one power play the entire game for Sweden. I thought today's officiating was pretty damn good after the debacle that we saw on Monday. There was no reviews. I was thankful for that. But... Overall, a pretty damn good day of officiating. And you see Sweden starting cycles, getting pressure. A Czech defenseman named Czech, oddly enough, gets a cross-checking penalty in front, and Sweden goes on the power play. And Leclerc gets a one-timer, and he blows it past Harabal to make it 3-2 Sweden. They get the lead. For the first time in the game. About two minutes later, Czechia has an odd man rush. They drop the puck back. The shot is blocked. Pass is thrown down the other way to Noah Oslin, who has a complete breakaway. He goes forehand, backhand, makes it 4 2 Sweden. And that really was the game there. LaCarimacchi ended up scoring another goal. But you had LaCarimacchi, Oslin, who was voted one of their. Top three players in the tournament. In Lindstein, who's been great, who had two points on the game, played big minutes, were important, and they found a way to get it done. Havlid really did not have a big part in the third period. He didn't face a whole lot of shots. The play was in the Czechia zone, and Sweden scores three goals in the third period, and Czechia could do nothing about it. Trying to forecheck, trying to limit chances, but ultimately the better team with the better players won the game. The home team were only going into their second World Junior Championship gold medal game since 2018. It's been a minute for them. Not a nation that gets there a whole lot that has this type of. You'd think more often. You think of Sweden, a, a superpower. In the hockey world, but not at this event. Sweden's difficult to play when they are at their best because they have a lot of centers like Oslin, like Philip Biestad, who I think had a very good game today. He just was snake bitten, could not finish around the net. They wear on you. They're big centers. They're physical. They just wear down defensemen and eventually you're going to break, in particular when you're a team that has less firepower and you're defending, defending, defending the entire game. And Czechia felt like they had to block everything. They had to be in perfect position because it was clear they did not have trust in their goaltender to make saves, which they shouldn't have after seeing the first two goals go in. Sandine Pelika, LaCaramachie, Lindstein, Oslin, Bstead They have some very good hockey players that can produce. And they're going to need those guys to continue producing one more game when they meet the United States. Because the United States also won today. So the final that I predicted from the beginning actually came true. It is U.S. and Sweden. I just thought they'd both lose today. And there are one-goal games in the third period. So what can I say? For Team USA, they went down 2-0 in the first period. They had a horrible first period. Turning the puck over. Playing lazy, playing unattentive like I thought they might. Kind of talked about that's how they play. I worried about them getting down in the game so that they get frustrated, which they did at times. From about the five minute mark of the second period on, the United States were clearly the better team. They controlled play. And it was only a matter of time before they got on the board. Against Finland, Finland was defending. Coco was making fantastic saves, but the U.S. role with the puck. Gabe Perreault, Will Smith, and Ryan, uh, Ryan Leonard were the best line for the U.S. today. They moved Jimmy Stugurud up to the top line with Cutter Gochi, which was a smart decision by Carl, the head coach at the University of Denver. Brindley was going. He was dancing around. You had, to me, the biggest X factor was Lane Hudson and Seamus Casey moving the puck in and out of their own zone. So easy zone exits. The way they cycled the puck around using their defense. Those two guys are special talents. They're both small. I don't know how good they're going to be at the NHL level. But they both have good shots. They both are so creative. It's a joy to watch them play, quite frankly. And Finland eventually takes a penalty, where Jimmy Snookerud's tripped, trying to cut into the middle of the ice. We get on the power play, and Jimmy Snookerud scores going bar down from a ways out, just an incredible rocket of a shot. And that gave the United States some momentum. And before the end of the period, the Smith pro Leonard line connected. Will Smith scores to make it 2-2. So he put one in the empty net. And to Finland's credit, they played, I thought, a pretty damn good third period. They fought back. They forechecked tough. Goaltender was giving them big saves when they needed it they were not going down without a fight by any means Manisto the big centerman who plays two ways he was grinding on defense getting pucks in deep creating scoring chances but in the end finland takes a power pl- uh, takes a penalty and when you're a nation that is just less talented you can't do this And Cutter Gauthier scores with 3.13 left from Lane Hudson and Gavin Brindley. Beautiful shot over the blocker, top shelf of Kako. And Trey Augustine had make some big saves down the stretch when they pulled the goalie. Had to make some big, made a toe save on Yanni Newman. To keep the game 3-2. But in the end the United States did enough. They survived. They played a strong 40 minutes. Did not show up for the first 20. But they defeat Finland. A team who will compete for a medal. Despite the fact that they lost to Germany and Canada to open the tournament. We got USA and Sweden, the two best teams in the tournament, said by most scouts, coming in for the gold medal tomorrow afternoon. (sighs) From looking at it, I like both teams' defenses for different reasons. I think Sweden's more of a physical defense. They're very good at defending, limiting chances, blocking shots, being tough on wingers. Lindstein, Wallander, Pedersen, Sandine, Pelica all have a bit of snarl in their game, which makes it difficult to play them. Then you have the Americans with Seamus Casey and Renzel and Lane Hudson who are different. They move the puck very effectively, exits out of the zone, and they can help create offense when they're in the offensive zone themselves. So so many different skills that these teams possess. Not to mention, Lindstein leads Sweden in points. So he's not too shabby himself when it comes to producing. So I think both teams are very strong defense scorers. I'm going to give the edge to the United States when it comes to firepower. Go through the roster. Gavin Brindley, Quinn Finley, who's underrated. Isaac Howard, Ryan Leonard, my personal favorite. Rudder McGordy, Frank the third, Gabe Perot, Will Smith, Snuggerud, Seamus Casey, Chesley, Lane Hudson. They can score goals when they want to. They have that crazy ability. Just to, you need a goal quick, they can get it done. Now Sweden's no slouch with Leclerc Maki and Ausland and, and Bstead. I expect another close game tomorrow. The Sweden crowd's gonna be crazy. They have that going for them. The United States have been the prohibited favorite from the beginning, and to their credit, they haven't lost a game. Some close calls, but they have not lost a game there, 6-0. and 5-2 for Sweden today. That was more of a 3-2 game. And a 3-2 win for USA over Finland, who are not even close to as talented, but they pull up, put up a hell of a fight. I'm going to pick the Americans to win 3-2 and take home the gold medal. I think they're slightly better than Sweden. I know I picked both these teams to lose today. But just look at the United States. Every single test they've passed, they're going to stumble. They're down 2 nothing. They come back and win. We're frustrated we're going to take penalties. No, they didn't do that. They just kept chipping away. Chipping away. Winning these games. Find a way to make a 2-1. Get a power play, score on it, and then before you know it, it's 2-2. Three minutes to go, you score a big goal to guarantee that you're going to the gold medal game. Trey Augustine's been game. He was phenomenal today when he had to be. I think he'll be good tomorrow. Sweden will hang tough. They'll keep it a game. I expected the USA to get the go-ahead goal in the third period and win the three to two it'll be the first gold medal since the fauci bubble world Juniors in, in Edmonton in 21 maybe 21 where Trevor Zegres was the tournament MVP that's what I expect to see tomorrow and the bronze medal game, So hard to say. It's hard to find the motivation, but I think both these countries will. Czechia was in the bronze medal game in 22 when I was there in Edmonton. They lost to the United States. They obviously won a, a silver medal last year, losing to Canada in the gold medal game. Finland in 22 lost in the gold medal game. To Canada. Mason McTavish made that play in the goal line. Kent Johnson gets the golden goal. And the rest is history. Last year, Finland finished fifth. They did not make the semifinal, losing to Sweden in Moncton. Both teams want this medal. Both teams want to go home with something. Czechs are looking to medal at back-to-back events for the first time since 05. That would be a hell of a story. I worry about Harabo coming back after his performance today. Look shaky. Didn't look right. He's he's the only goaltender for Czechia to play this entire tournament, so I don't think they're going to move off of him. He'll be back tomorrow. They'll be be banking on him bouncing back and putting up a good performance. The Finns defended so well, they played hard. Another one-score game. I'm going to take Czechia 3-2. I look at Kulich, who hasn't had a great couple games. I think he'll be better. Him and Shapovalov will produce. they will get some help from the back end. But again, another close game. Two teams that fought valiantly today that will be disappointed. But Czechia got more rest than Finland. Finland will be so deflated. But I expect a competitive, fun game in the bronze medal. But I'm going to take Czechia to win it. Also this morning, Germany and Norway met in the relegation game. Used to be best 2 out of 3. Now it's single elimination. I love that. Single elimination is always better. More intrigue. uh, Germany, pardon me, was up 4-2 late in the third. Norway scored twice to make it 4-4. It went into overtime where Germany ended up winning the game. They escape. They avoid relegation. Germany, it's a one and done. They're back down. And Kazakhstan will be promoted for the 2025 World Juniors in Ottawa. So congrats to Kazakhstan, and it's Germany avoiding one of the worst possible situations in tournament history, defeating the Finns, who could go home with a medal, and then being relegated in the same event. That's something else. (laughs) Pardon me, but it doesn't happen. They win the game. Germany, five four, in overtime. Toronto Maple Leafs have won two in a row, beating LA on Tuesday, three to nothing, shutting out the. Anaheim Ducks last night. And a game they dominated, getting 57 shots. Lukas Dastel made 55. He was phenomenal. Kept the minute. Was not a game. Toronto should have won 4-5-1. But he got Anaheim a point. But Toronto ended up winning the game on Austin Matthews, getting the OT winner for his 30th of the season. Credit to Martin Jones. They play on back-to-back nights, which I agreed with. This Hildeby guy, I don't know, playing in the American League, doesn't have great numbers. Anaheim's not a good team, but Toronto, they lose to bad teams all we talked about this on Tuesday. You can't take anybody lightly. You want the points because you're chasing Florida and you're chasing Boston in the standings, and those two teams are winning right now. So get the points and move on. They have San Jose twice in the next five days. Those are two wins. Have to be lock victories for Toronto because San Jose is the worst team in the NHL. So look at it that way. This is about building confidence, playing a certain way, creating better habits because it's not just on goaltending because the team defensively hasn't been as good as they have been in past years. That's not just defense, that's also forwards and just the whole team. How are you going to defend? Are we going to give up a lot of two on ones? Are we going to take this many chances? I thought it was a good step in the right direction. They dominated both games. Goaltending was great in both games. And as of right now, goaltending is not an issue because Martin Jones has been good. If Martin Jones was dog shit the last two nights, then it becomes a story because then you're re- relying on Hildeby to be, to be your goaltender. And I think that's a loser's race then you're really screwed. Because of Martin Jones playing the way he has, I don't think you have to rush to trade for a goaltender if something comes up organically and it makes sense. If there's a waiver wire goaltender you can claim, do it. Otherwise, I don't think it's a pressing issue. But credit to Martin Jones for being that great and the team playing well the last couple nights in front of him. The more juicier nugget is there's now rumors that Bill Nylander is going to be re-signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs prior to the NHL All-Star break, which is in Toronto in the beginning of February. I think it's like February 2nd or 3rd. I don't know. The All-Star game stupid. I hate it, but it's happens every year. If you want to know what it is, look it up. I don't know. It's the week prior to the Super Bowl. That's when it is. It's reportedly they want to get the contract done before the All-Star break. They're coming close. And it sounds like he's going to be signing a deal of eight years, 11 plus million dollars. How do you feel about that, Leafs fans? It's hard to argue that William Nylander is not worth that. He's fifth in NHL in scoring. He's got a point in 33 of 36 games this season. He had two goals against the Kings. He's been pretty dominant every night. He's been their most consistent player, I would argue, still at this point of the season. But then you look up and you compare it to other players, which you're going to do. And I don't think William Nylander is as good as David Pasternak. I never will think that. I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's better than Pasternak. I think Pasternak brings more value. I think Pasternak does more things for the Bruins than Nylander does for the Maple Leafs. That's not a slight on him. That's just me comparing players. And Pasternak's one of my faves. I'll openly admit that. I think he's great. And then you look around and you see, well... Kachuk only makes 9-5. And I think Matthew Kachuk is better than Bill Nylander. And again, I don't think that's particularly close. So when you start comparing it around the league, it hurts. It doesn't look as good. If it is this number, I'm going to tell you why I think it's a good deal. It's going to be eight years. We've talked about this before. I, if I was an athlete, I'd never be signing an eight-year deal unless I have zero self-confidence in myself to continue to produce the way that I have been. And it would honestly make me a little worried if I was a team signing a guy for eight years because I want a guy motivated to continue to play well and produce and go past you know the benchmark that they've set. For me, if Toronto signs Bill Neilander to an eight year, $11.25 million extension, that's a good contract. It's not greedy. It's not an overpay because the salary cap is going up and it's an eight year deal. Eight years you have control of this guy. In eight years, the salary cap is going to be $100 bucks, At least. At least. Unless Fauci comes up with another reason for us to shut down the world, we're not going to have another pandemic. There's going to be World Cups of Hockey. There's going to be different things that are going to keep promoting the game. This Women's Hockey League will only help the NHL. It's going to help both leagues, but I think it's going to help the NHL as well. So the NHLs can going to continue to make money, partnerships with ESPN, partnerships with TNT, the three-letter, the two-letter up here in Canada, keep producing and hopefully building more stars which the league still fucking fails at an astronomical level to do but 8 years times 1125 is going to be a cheap contract just as think who's coming up Pedersen, McDavid in a couple of years Drysdale in a couple of years McKinnon pardon me in a couple of years all of these guys are going to demand more money for the while pushing that number up north of what he's making. So his salary is going to go down compared to the rest of the league. Meanwhile, John Tavares is going to come off the books in a year and a half. His $11 million will be gone. You can distribute that $11 million elsewhere to different people. I wouldn't sign William Nealander to an eight-year contract because I don't want anybody for eight years. That's just me. If I was a general manager, I wouldn't do it because I don't think it's good for the player, and I don't think it's good for the team either. Unless you're signing McDavid or McKinnon. Matthews, I guess. I even my worries about him. But there's about five guys in the league. McCar. Say five, ten guys in the league that I'll sign for the max years that I can because I truly believe they're that special. And if I can get them at the number, at the time, that is astronomically high. By the time their contract is up, that number will not be astronomically high. Look at Leon Dreisaitl making $8.5 at this point. Bill Nylander will make $3 million more than Leon Dreisaitl. See where I'm going with this? Numbers are going to keep going up. And Bill Nylander will be amongst the peasants when it comes to annual average value. While being still a great player who can still skate and has a great shot. And if you have a great shot, it doesn't go away. Just ask Alex Ovechkin. Still shoot the puck. You still have that skill. doesn't go away from you. Your skating might not be as good in the eight years, but you still got it. I think a five-year deal at this number... Could have been done, but my thought on it, I have no reporting on this. This is just me speculating. For a five-year deal, Bill Bill Nylander probably wants a bigger number because I would. I'd want 11.5 or 12. And it sounds like pennies. Oh, that's such a, a finite, small amount of money. But it's not in the grand scheme because you're making that every year. You're making that additional money every year to your salary. If you can make an extra $50,000 a year, would you do it? It doesn't seem like such a small potatoes when you add it all up. I'm making $50,000 more a year, $300,000 more a season. That's, that's not a small amount of money. So I think the Leafs don't want to give them that number. They're also living in the present day where the salary cap isn't ninety-five to one hundred million. They're hoping it goes up this off-season, which will help them with their cap situation, give them some flexibility with guys like Tavares, who so they don't want to be paying what they are, have the ability to resign Nealander and have Matthews kicking in and Tavares and Morgan Riley who signed long-term, but the number is absolutely fair at 11.125. It's a fair number. And this is something to remember. You don't have to be the best player to be paid like the best player in the league or amongst the best players in the league. It's about becoming a free agent at the right time. For a period there, Dak Prescott was the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Is he better than Patrick Mahomes? No. Is he better than is he better than uh, Brock Purdy, than Lamar Jackson? No. But he was the highest-paid quarterback in the league because when he was a free agent, he was next man up, and that's how it works. It's not about if you're better than this person. It's about that's what they made, I'm up now, I'm making above it. And William Nylander wants to be paid like David Pashanek. And to his point, if you're looking at this season, he's fourth in the league in points, tied with Artemi Panarin, who makes $11.6 million. So if he's at that number, he's making less than Panarin. I think Nylander's a better player than Panarin. I think Panarin's been great. I can't stand him. He's not a player performer. He's a fucky. He's lazy as shit. Nine, times, nine out of ten games, he leaves the rink and doesn't have to take a shower. Because he doesn't, he doesn't skate, doesn't do anything. Nylander has one more point than Pasternak. And he's played one fewer game, I believe. So they're right on par. Again, do I think Neilander's better than David Pasternak? No way. Never. <laughs> No way in hell. But David Pashnak was making he was making six million when Neilander was making six nine for their whole career till last year when Pashnak signed his extension. So it's not crazy to see the two linked. And is one superior to the other? Absolutely. But that's just the way the cookie crumples. They're similar. They're close in points. They both play the wing. He makes that, I'm going to make this. Panarin, who Neilander can say, I'm a great playoff performance, uh, performer. Panarin doesn't even break a sweat. He's the laziest son of a bitch on the ice. I'm still going to make less than him and I actually go out and produce. Well, Big Poppy, 34, and Mitch Marner take uh, every, every uh, spring off so they can go to UFC in May. I'm trying to win here. Their lack of accountability is not my problem. Nico Ranton makes over $11 bucks. Neil has more points than Ranton. He's got more points than Jack Hughes. He's got six more points than Austin Matthews, who makes the most money in the league. So when I start putting it all together, it's not that crazy. It's the going rate. Just the way it works. Is it right? Maybe not. Does it make sense? Probably not. But that's the way it works. I think it's a good deal. But would I want to sign him for eight years? No. And quite frankly... If I had to pay $12 bucks a year to get him for five, I'd do it. And I don't think you hear a lot of people, analysts, say that. Get him for eight, you had him for eight years. It's a risk, sure. He could be great, and then he's free earlier, and then you got to pay him more money or let him walk. In five years, who knows what the Maple Leafs are. He could be a member of the St. Louis Blues in three. This this team trades assets like a team trades a pregnancy test. They might be a shit organization in three years trading off these guys. It's somebody else's problem. Five years, eight years. Windows don't last that long. And when they are lasting that long, it's not for the right reasons. Detroit was a playoff team for 22 years. But how many of those years were they actually Stanley Cup contenders? Not that many. So it's a great story. We made the playoffs year after year after year. It's great for ticket sales, great for revenue. But when you're a team in a prominent market, you want to have an actual chance of winning. The Maple Leafs want to actually be able to sell that bill of goods to their fans because they've been selling hope for the last six years with no winning. (laughs) The Maple Leafs have been living the Detroit Red Wings lifestyle. Maple Leafs fans are going, we got a chance. Oh, no, we're done. Let's build a winner now with a guy in a shorter window. And if you get to the summer and you get a bio John Davis because you don't have the money, so be it. You can do it. It's an uncomfortable conversation. But you can do it. I'm sure, it's not fun for parents when they have to tell their kids, oh, the birds and the bees conversation. You think that's fun? It's a tough conversation. When somebody's going through a divorce, you gotta talk to your kids. Is that a fun conversation? It's a conversation. Get fucking real. Have the conversation. Go, we love you. You're our captain. But kick rocks. Or would you consider uh, readjusting your contract for us? And taking less money? Your last year? Would you? Please? Would you consider it? We'll love you forever. We'll put you in the ring of honor. We want to win a cup so bad. Oh, we want it. so have a tough conversation. But eight years, five years. Five is always better. Because at five, it's an easier contract to trade as well. Another thing to consider. But these general managers like that. They like that eight-year deal, the press conference, all the headline. Twitter. We got him locked up for eight years to come. Blah blah blah. Okay, sure. You got him for eight years, huh, Chumlee? Yeah, that's gonna work. <laughs> Was Duncan Keith in Chicago for ten years? No. Was John Taves in Chicago ten years? Was Patrick Kane Chicago for all ten years? No. Sometimes families break up. You go separate directions, right? I'm not saying the Leafs are going to break up in two years, but if they break up in two years, and he's only got three years left on his deal, you got three kicks at the can with Bill Nylander in his prime to go win. Meaning we're going to fleece you. If you've got five years left, you go, ah, five years is an awful long time. You know, that'd be six. It was over six. We got six. Six years left on this deal. Oof, that's it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, we can't. We don't want six. Like, how's the goods he gonna be in six years? We'd like to have him for like say three. Right, like we'd like to have him for three years. If you only signed him for five years, then that's really something we consider. But, oh, that's three plus another three. That's six years left. That's a lot of time to deal with this guy. And, yeah, he kind of looks like the the to-the-point host guy, and he's got great hair, good facial hair, and his father's great, NHL. We love all that, but we don't want to pay him. Right? So it's a win at that number. It's fair. It makes sense. If it means you have to have a tough conversation, man up, tree, have the tough convo. Because here's something I know about fans. I used to be a fan. Not anymore, but I know enough about being a fan. Fans are fickle. Fans are temperamental, unappreciative, mostly. But at the end of the day, they might be upset because you strip a guy of a C or you trade somebody that they really like and they've just bought their jersey and they're upset about it. Meh. But at the end of the day, if you build a winner, they forget who that guy is. If you got got a bio John DeVar's because the number's too big, they might be upset at first. But you bring somebody in who's better, you bring in three guys for his 11 million bucks, and you win a championship. They'll forget who John DeVaris is. They don't know where his wife works, where he is. They won't know anything. It'll be irrelevant. DeMar DeRozan was beloved in Toronto, loved by Raptors fans. He's DeMar, he's our guy. We love him because he wants to stay here. He doesn't want to go to LA. Or Brooklyn or Phoenix or Philly, one of the hot markets. He wants to stay here in Toronto and play with us. Well, then they Masayu Jury traded him to San Antonio. Ugh. But then you brought in Kawhi Leonard and people are upset and Kawhi's not gonna stay. And but Kawhi. Brought the Raptors the one thing they never thought they'd get, a championship. And DeMar DeRozan is a just a distant footnote on the Raptors' historic franchise. He's in the book, but he's, you know, he's in a page kind of people flip. He's like reading Game of Thrones. He's a brand chapter. That nobody wants to read. Because it's too long and too fucking boring. So you, you flip through it. You read like every third page. And you get through that. You get through it, right? But they love they that story. About Kawhi coming. And winning. And beating Golden State. In Golden State for the championship. Imagine that book. If it was the Leafs. The suffering Leafs fans who haven't won in so many years. Imagine if they finally got a championship. Oh, the humanity. Then the Tavares tough buyout or saying see ya to a prominent defenseman or somebody you really like in the city. Distant footnote. The really good fans, the really lovable ones, will we'll remember him, right? They'll remember him. They might buy a jersey, they'll keep it. In the memorabilia, but kinda of in the in the basement or the attic of the house, where it, it's that we know it's there, it's comfortably safe, but we're not gonna wear it, you know, anytime soon, because he's not part of the team anymore. We'll clap him when he comes back for his first game back, when we kick their team's ass. But he's a footnote. So Brad Tree Living, my advice to you pay a little bit more for three less years. Cause so I think you could get him 12 times five. That sounds like a lot of money right now, and it is. But it's better than eight years. I want a motivated player. And I don't want an eight-year term sitting on that guy's lap. That's just me. Eight years might be great to these GMs and defense. fans. Maybe you love them. I don't know. Let me know in the comments. Do you love an eight-year deal? Does that psych you up? Does that get you stoked to watch the team? Eh, shouldn't. But it's going to get done. That's a good thing. Bill Nealander is a good player. It's time for fourth in league scoring. Three games a season without a point. That's it. He's played 36 of them. Looks like it's going to get done before the All-Star break. Good news for Lee's Faithful. Now, will Pedersen get done in Vancouver? I don't know about that. No, No rumors on that, which is a tad perplexing. Because they're playing so well. And they're starting a seven-game road trip tonight in St. Louis. They're just kind of a wagon right now. Tonight you get Pittsburgh at Boston, which should be fun. Flames, Preds, Canucks Blues, Lightning Wild. Avalanche Stars, two teams battling the top of the Central. Islanders, Coyotes. Florida, Vegas. Rematch of last year's Stanley Cup Final. Ottawa and Seattle. And Winnipeg in San Jose. Winnipeg's been, like I said, one of the most consistent teams in the NHL. They're in California. Playing San Jose, Anaheim over the next two nights. Good teams to play, should be point nights for these teams. And Winnipeg's in the driver's seat right now to win the Central, which nobody saw coming, including me. You got teams in the West like Vegas who have a lot of injuries, who aren't playing great hockey. L.A. who's kind of stumbled a bit. Coyotes are starting to come back to Earth's. Dallas, they haven't had Jake Ottinger in three weeks, and Wedgwood's had to play a lot of hockey, and he's been great, 11-3-2 on the season, but it's nice to have a number one goalie. The Wild, who are going to miss Kirill Kaprizov for a period of time. Their captain, Jared Spurgeon, is on IR for quite a while, it seems like. He's only played 16 games this year. Gustafson's out, their number one goalie. So it's an opportunity for Winnipeg to continue to bank points, continue to be in the mix for that divisional crown come the end of the season. At the very least, ensure that you're going to be a playoff team and be comfortably in there come trade deadline season. So maybe Kevin Chevalier for the first time in his tenure will be aggressive and do something to help the team, which he never does. So I'm not banking on him doing it, but a guy can hope. That's gonna be it for tonight. Getting a little stuffy here, but I appreciate you guys grinding through me, uh, grinding it through with me. Be back tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll sound a little bit better. Gonna talk about the betting lines in the NFL this coming weekend, including all the players that are not playing, and there's a lot of them. But I'm gonna save that for tomorrow. We'll recap the bronze and gold medal games. And look ahead to the weekend, the sports weekend as a whole. We got a number of interesting things with the NHL, some some big games coming up. We obviously got football, uh, national championship on Monday in Houston. So we'll look ahead to that. But that's all forthcoming tomorrow. So thank you for joining me tonight. Appreciate the support. As always, take care. This is to the point.